Welcome everyone uh, this evening to our first field guide session of the fall 2022 season. We kind of set it up by academic year, uh, but we're starting here and then we'll run through December. Tonight, we are going to discuss online degree programs. This is a question that we get in the lab all the time. You know, what are the options for people that want to become chaplains, but maybe I'm not near a school or, or the school that I want to go to doesn't have um, the, you know, the right program for me or whatever. Uh, online degree programs are becoming more and more uh, an option for folks. And so we're going to hear about a couple of them tonight. I want to thank first off our sponsors for this season of the uh, Field Guide series, the E-Roads and Leona B. Carpenter Foundation. They've been wonderful supporters of uh, career development for chaplains in lots of ways. Isle of School of Theology, Bayon Chicago, the Islamic Graduate School, Union Theological Seminary, and University of the West. Uh, these institutions have been really great partners for us uh, in advancing the work of chaplains and making it more accessible to people. So we really thank them for that. Let me introduce our guests briefly, and then I'll turn it to them. Carrie Doring is Clifford Baldridge Professor of Pastoral Care and Counseling at Iliff School of Theology. She's been involved in a number of the projects the lab has done over the past several years, and so we're really happy to have her with us tonight. And then also uh, Pamela Hancock, who is Assistant Professor of Spiritual Practice and Care of the, I didn't scroll over, Care of the Soul <laughs> at Star King School for the Ministry, where she also directs the chaplaincy program. So if we're going to talk about online education, these are the two people we want to have in the room with us. We're recording the conversation, so don't worry. You don't need to take notes. You don't have to worry about it too much. If you need to leave early, you can always come back and watch it again. So uh, we, we offer that so you can stay tuned in to the conversation. So with that, Carrie, I'll turn it to you and get out of the way. Hi, everyone. Wonderful to be with you. I've been teaching online at Isle of School of Theology since 2008 and um, have discovered that online classes offer some unique opportunities for learning interpersonal competencies, particularly in interreligious spiritual care. And I'll describe some of the techniques I use, some of the pedagogy I use in my classes to give you an idea of what you might want to look for when you ask about how spiritual care is taught. Um, I use a spiritually integrative pedagogy, which means that the goal of experiencing the process of spiritual trust in pastoral and spiritual care begins with ourselves. So students each week in the discussion forums post about a breath or body-based practice they're using to be aware of stress in their body and how they experience goodness. And each week students report on this, it gives an opportunity to share whatever unique practice works for them and whatever goodness means to them. And then in the responses each week, students respond in ways that honor the mystery of who the other is. That's part of learning interreligious spiritual care. And they also respond to the most vulnerable thing that one of their peers shared in their post. And it's curious to me that I think in um, 
online interchanges, there's just tendency to bracket something vulnerable that someone refers to and not name it. So I have to coach my students, particularly in the first several weeks of the discussions, to respond to the most vulnerable thing a partner shared. Now, being able to pause and read very closely how someone is describing a, a practice, a spiritual practice and a source of stress really helps students think about how to respond. And we don't get this chance in the quick back and forth of spiritual care. And especially it helps students pay attention to the particular words and phrases that their peers are using and to quote back those phrases, because this is part of deep listening and respect for the particular words that people use to describe their spiritual world. So that spiritually integrative pedagogy in an online group, you get to hear equally from every single person. And we get to do a deep dive into the the uh, practices people share. We're also developing uh, a shared language for talking about spiritual trust, what I call spiritual differentiation, that capacity to separate my story from someone else's spiritual empathy. Um, so it's this chance to learn to use this language together, particularly in referencing our own experiences and case studies we may be watching or reading each week. And the other um, component I'll share, so the, that first aspect of online learning, a spiritually integrative pedagogy that's very person-centered and practices interreligious respect for difference actually works pretty well in an online setting. I think it's also important to have experiential assignments. And I'll give an illustration of one I use is about halfway through the course, students pair up with each other and they record on Zoom. Um, a deep listening conversation where they ask their partner, what connects you to goodness? Then they enter into a listening following style where they try to echo back the words that their partner is using. Um, and these are recorded, these conversations, and then students will do an assignment where they they answer questions about how well they were able to experience spiritual trust in the process of that conversation, how well they practice their own self-care. When were there jarring moments where it was hard to separate their story from their partners? And now you could do this in a face-to-face -face course as well, but the opportunity to record it and generate a transcription and then see how one's body language aligns with one's beliefs and values about trusting the process of spiritual care. This kind of um, assignment works extraordinarily well. And as a teacher, I watch the conversation, I read the transcript, and then I give very detailed feedback. So these are some of the components to look for in an actual course, an online course on spiritual care, a highly interactive 
conversations where we're learning how to practice spiritual care and how we respond to each other. And then opportunities to watch spiritual care conversations. I have a sort of collection of recordings of these that we watch and think about. And then opportunities to practice spiritual care with each other. So those are some of the highlights I would give for what you want to find out about and how the course, online course is actually taught. Thank Pamela. You, Gary. Let's, let's hear from uh, Pamela at Star King. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Michael. Um, so I'm going to approach this a little bit differently. Um, let me first say that uh, primary things that I think people should keep in mind when looking into a program are two things. First, if it will meet your needs spiritually. And then the second one is around time constraints. And then from what I've noticed with my students, there are plus and minuses to online education. The number one negative I hear is people missing in-person learning because of not being able to create those types of friendships and spend time with those people. While a number, the number one positive is the flexibility and not having to move, which was a really major component of my personal seminary journey was what I have to wear. <laughs> so, um, and I'm gonna get into how we address the in-person learning issue because at Star King, we have what we call pods. And those are like co cohorts. I'm gonna go into that in a moment. And there's a lot of one-on-one -on -one, um, meetings with people in your cohorts to do specific assignments. So as Michael mentioned, I'm the assistant professor of spiritual practice and care of the soul, as well as the director of the chaplaincy program at Star King School for the Ministry, which is based in Unitarian Universalism. And I also graduated from there. So I'm going to give you a brief overview of how our chaplaincy concentration works, just so you have a better idea on what an online program can look like. So what attracted me to Star King over 10 years ago was the fact that there was a major focus on countering oppression. When I was tasked to design the new Star King chaplaincy program, and we're in our second year, I made sure to focus on the spirit of what brought me to Star King in the first place. So there are many seminaries in the United States that offer chaplaincy at this point, but what sets Star King apart is our focus on radical education, sacred activism, multi-religiosity, social justice, and countering oppression, which is what helps the SKSM chaplaincy program stand out. So first and foremost, other seminaries center around mainstream faith traditions, their theologies, and the voices and identities within them. This is a deterrent for those who may be marginalized. So thank goodness Star King is based in Unitarian Universalism and has produ been producing UU chaplains and ministerial leaders for years, accepting anyone who has the call. But for pagan clergy, such as myself, 
and those in the spiritual but not religious category, they may not know that they can have a career in chaplaincy like those in traditional religions. And I think that's what sets Starking apart. So as many people seek a master's degree with the intention to secure a job, I did that, <laughs> the aspects of the program that I started with was assuring that anyone who graduates from our concentration with an MDiv can go through the process to become a board certified chaplain or for those who go through our MASS program, which is a Master of Arts in Social Change, can be an associate certified chaplain. And so we attend to these things by having courses in specific traditions and sacred texts, theological ethics, and then a unique pastoral and professional formation program, which includes a set of six stages and this is the work that is done with a pod. And that pod is a cohort and they start in the fall. And so you go through these six stages of formation and development with this group of individuals. And as I mentioned earlier, those are the people that you do one-on-one -on -one work with. Um, and it also provides our chaplaincy students with a group of like-minded individuals to go through that formation process with. In preparation, of ordination with whatever ordaining body they choose. And I'll cover more about that in a moment. So these stages are courses that detail the requirements of working as a chaplain in multiple settings, how to function pastorally within boundaries and using pastoral authority, group dynamics and organizational behavior, organizational culture, systems and relationships, Preparation for clinical pastoral education, known as CPE, which is one of our requirements for graduation. And finally, attending to each individual's formation process. So then we have a sequence of courses within our spiritual practice and care of the soul threshold. That's what we call like particular concentrations within our seminary. So if you would like a list of those courses, I can definitely email those to you. But we do things like deep listening, psychology for chaplains, uh, illness, health and healing, forgiveness and moral prayer, all issues and things that will come up in chaplaincy environments in the future. Um, and the next thing that we attend to is securing a path for those who identify with other traditions to be ordained. And this is a major aspect of the board certification process. So we partner with um, the Chaplaincy Institute, which is an interfaith option, the Order of Universal Interfaith, also an interfaith option, Sacred Well Congregation for those who identify as pagan, and the Unitarian Universalist Association for those who identify in that realm. So, as I noted, and I'm bringing it back around here, is one of the things that I think is really important in seeking out a chaplaincy program is a place where you can feel spiritually nourished. And that is one of those things that we attend to heavily at Star King because we realize that we attract people, a lot of people actually in the spiritual but not religious category. And therefore we wanna make a place for that in the world. So. Those are the main things that I wanted to talk about. Um, Michael? <laughs>
Yes, thank you both very much. Um, like I said, this is something that we're hearing more and more about. And I think that uh, just, of course, these are just two examples that we have here. And there are many more uh, that are available right now or that are in the works. So it's it's certainly a growing field. But I think that even just hearing these two examples, we have um, a really good understanding that these programs are intended, I really like Pamela, you said, <laughs> to get a job. <laughs> That's a really important part of this because obviously nobody wants to go through a chaplaincy program and then have nothing to do on the other end of it. Uh, so I really appreciate uh, that that obvious right up front, we are training you for the job, for the workforce after this. Um, even though, of course, I understand that for many chaplaincy is a vocation or they feel a, a deep spiritual pull to be a chaplain, it's still a job. <laughs> it's still a career. It's an industry. And so we have to be really well aware of sort of the, the practicalities that go along with all of that. And Carrie, I just wanted to comment on, you know, I, I think that the way you have described having uh, approaching this education in a spiritually integrated way, a pastorally integrated way, you're really modeling the type of work that a chaplain is going to do after they after they complete this program. Uh, as you were talking, I found myself thinking, boy, I wish my education had been spiritually integrated because <laughs> nobody was taking care of me in that way while I was in the classroom. <laughs> so uh, I think that uh, that's that's just a, a, a wonderful way uh, that I love students can see how it's, you know, they're sort of getting chaplained while they're uh, going through the program. So I really appreciate that as well. But this is not for me uh, to ask all the questions. So I want to open it up to everyone else. I'm sure you have plenty of questions. So the floor is is whoever would like whoever would like to have it. I don't think there are any restrictions on being able to unmute or anything like that. Um, although of course you can you can send something in chat if uh, if that is the case. Michael, something I was going to add um, while people are pondering the choices is if you do have a vocation in spiritual care, there are many online CPE programs now. And I, I do get a number of students who come into the degree because they've done an online CPE unit or a local CPE unit. And that's a way to really test your call to chaplaincy. Mm -hmm. And it is spiritually integrative um, in the way chaplaincy studies is spiritually integrative. So you'll, you'll have a kind of parallel experience in the way you're learning how to be a chaplain in a CPE unit, and then the way you're learning how to be a chaplain in the courses and programs that Pam and I are describing. Yeah. You know, and I promise I did not pay Carrie to say that, but the next session of the field guide series is online CPE. <laughs> so uh, here in the next couple of weeks, we'll have uh, presenters that will speak specifically to that. And if, if we get, if there are, if there is a question, we get more than about online degree programs, it's about online CPE, because uh, this is, this is something that is, you know, it's quite difficult. If you're not near a CPE center, it's sort of like, well, what do you do? Uh, so uh, this is really becoming a, a growing field, and I'm excited to learn more about that. And Michael, it's nice because at, 
at least from the students that I have in the program, there are a lot of people who are trying to venture out into chaplaincy that isn't well established yet. Like, um, I have somebody who wants to do music festivals. And the only way he's going to be able to do that is an online chaplaincy pro or a CPE program where he can have supervision and then do that in places like a music festival or in reproductive rights and things like that. So I think they're a really great idea. Thank you for bringing this up, Carrie. We do get lots of questions from folks who are interested in doing CPE. Uh, and I promise we're, I'm not trying to dominate this with CPE, but, uh, you know, folks want to do CPE, but they don't want to do it in healthcare, which is a completely, uh, a completely reasonable uh, request and expectation. But if you look at the numbers and just historically the origins of CPE, most of it is in healthcare. Uh, and so uh, ACPE is aware of this or the largest body that it offers units. They're aware of this and, and they're working very hard to, to sort of correct that to make sure that there are more options. There's a wonderful place it's not online, um, but it's in San Francisco. It's the San Francisco Night Ministry that does uh, CPE, which is essentially street chaplaincy. Uh, and there's a reason you can't do that online, because you can't wander the streets of San Francisco at night online, or at least not very fruitfully. Uh, so they are they are working there. Anyone else? Or... If nobody wants to ask questions publicly, we'll do the breakout rooms now and you can ask your questions privately. <laughs> I guess I do have a lot of questions. I don't know if the breakout room would be better or not, but I'm a hospice nurse. So, sure. um, and it kind of feels like nursing takes the sacredness out of end of life work. Um, I don't know if I need to go back to school. It's kind of, difficult to think about paying so much to like get paid less um, <laughs> uh, and I just I'm just trying to like navigate this whole process like should I get certified should I go to school do I need a master's um, what places hire me should I I've done like a death doula class should I just kind of pursue that and do more like private work or I don't know and if you don't have an answer that's fine because that's kind of all over the place but <laughs> I would be, I, yes. <laughs> so we actually have someone who uh, is currently a hospice nurse at Star mm -hmm. King. Um, I understand the monetary thing completely. Um, to be a chaplain, however, in most environments, you do need a master's of Div divinity or equivalent. So that might be a place where you run into some problems. Yeah. If you were doing work on your own as a death doula, that you wouldn't necessarily be hired as a chaplain as a, yeah. in a hospice to do that. And then you would have to do all of the additional work to get clients and yeah. things of that nature, which might be a little difficult to start. I, I'm not sure. I do know that the woman uh, in our program currently did do death doula training as an independent study mm -hmm. at King. So we actually, that's one of the things that we highly encourage our students to do. We have um, independent study offerings where you can venture out and do some sort of training like that. And it ends mm -hmm. up on your transcript at Star King. So, okay. yeah. Okay, thank you. It is hard, Clarissa, to navigate the path of 
exploring a call to chaplaincy because the programs that Pamela and I are talking about give you the academic credentials you need. Mm -hmm. But then clinical pastoral education is going to give you the clinical credentials mm -hmm. and, and you will do in our programs one unit of CPE, but then you have to do subsequent units of CPE that you find on your own. And then right now, you have to be endorsed or ordained in a spiritual tradition. And that's mm. a path you also find on your own. Yeah. So it's it's a complicated path to maneuver. And the Chaplaincy Innovation Lab has just wonderful, wonderful resources on that. But uh, I know it's daunting when we're uh, responding to people like you who have this call and can't provide explicit spiritual care as a nurse, mm -hmm. unless it's part of the culture of the healthcare setting where you are, mm -hmm. it's it's hard to figure out how, the kind of credentials, the specialized knowledge you need, the specialized skills, the clinical training. It's it's a complex path, which I think is probably why uh, people. It's hard to even formulate what your questions are when you're yes. contemplating <laughs> making this uh, vocational journey. You know, one thing that the lab always encourages people and, and people reach out all the time and they have some specific questions. Sometimes they have less formed questions because they're sort of in your position where they think, what, what, what should I do next? Yeah. And one of the things I always say is that, of course, we'll provide as much information as we possibly can. There's lots of stuff on the website, um, but just ask questions. There's never any harm in that. Uh, you know, so Pam mentions in most places, they're going to want an MDiv from somebody. And that's, you know, it's understandable because to some degree that's a screening mechanism and make sure that, oh. you know, anyone can call themselves a chaplain, but that's not necessarily a good enough reason to hire someone. So there needs to be some sort of filter there, but not everybody does. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you find a, a place or a type of place, maybe another hospice system or whatever, you'd like to be a chaplain, you can always just reach out and ask. There's no reason that, uh, that you can't do that. Now, again, I feel like Carrie has like a, a, a view into my brain and she knows what I'm thinking about. She keeps setting me up for these things. But and this is not this is not a high pressure thing, but the lab just launched what we call spiritual generalist training for healthcare clinicians or mm, yes. clinicians to do basic spiritual needs assessments. It shows what are the spiritual sort of complications, implications, connections to physical issues. And so. Just take a look at it. It might be something you're interested in. You already, you clearly know the medical part of hospice. Mm. You know what death and dying looks like on a regular basis. So that might help you sort of tease out what the spiritual side of it looks like as well. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Uh, if, if anyone else has some questions, please be thinking. I, yeah. I just want to say as a former hospital chaplain, you do not have to be ordained to be a chaplain. It's, and um, and also there's a real movement against people without MDivs being a chaplain, a volunteer chaplain, to which we say, oh yeah, you know, I'm really interested. I, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a volunteer surgeon. <laughs> they, there should not be volunteer. It just takes away completely. It detracts from the role of chaplain to say, sure, we'll have volunteer chaplains, mm -hmm. as though there's not, 
first of all, an MDiv is the longest, most, it's, it's the most, um, well, it's really the longest uh, master's degree in any field in this country. And um, then on top of that, the CPE units, you know, it is a serious, a serious uh, profession. And we should not be saying, sure, you can come and just volunteer and be a chaplain too. What the heck? Joy, you raise an interesting question, and we've had um, we've had some sessions of the field guide series on this in the past. You can you can go back and see those recordings. But these questions of think these complicated processes like ordination, endorsement, certification, a lot of those things are specific to where you are coming from, particularly. Um, you know, if you want your tradition to endorse you as a chaplain, they're going to have their own requirements. And, you know, wherever you want to work has no control over that whatsoever. Uh, and so some folks either do whatever needs to be done to get endorsed in their own tradition. And so they have that stamp of approval and they can go work. Or sometimes they might need to get creative and find another tradition or another body that will endorse them. Uh, like Carrie said, this, for many people, this is a path that you kind of have to figure out on your own unless you come from you know, one of the really big traditions that has a super long history of chaplaincy and just a very clear path from start to finish. Uh, that's not always the case. Uh, and so schools like Star King are doing a really good job in helping folks that don't have that path laid out for them uh, navigate. Marty, I see your hand up. So why don't you unmute yourself there? Thank you, Michael. Uh, well, some of these comments just uh, kind of stimulate me to jump in because um, as you know, I'm a humanist chaplain here in Canada and I've participated uh, in the training of our first class of chaplains last year. And so the whole question that to unlock a chaplain's uh, position involves getting an MDiv to us is almost irrelevant because of the fact that we would like people to be spiritually literate and understand these things. But uh, I got an MDiv back when I was 25 and I went back into my files and I looked at what courses I took and uh, the things I looked because I kept my schoolwork. I learned nothing as an MDiv particularly that has trained me now to be a chaplain now in a university and I just have volunteered for the largest hospital out west here. And so I do think, uh, I'm not saying that an MDiv it doesn't screen out people that probably don't have academic things, don't, aren't really committed, they are looking for a shortcut, sure, an MDiv will do that. But I think there's much more relevant ways that we can train chaplains without requiring a master's in some divinity, even if it's in a, one of the minor uh, religious systems, like I, even Pamela, in your pagan tradition, you now have a seminary, I think it's in South Carolina or North Carolina, and I've read about it. But I even think that uh, what we've done up here is we've taken professionals and we have certified them as chaplains and they have to learn about our worldview, but they have a whole bunch of chaplain skills that uh, you've mentioned that we teach them. 
And uh, so it has to do, you know, with all of that range of counseling interaction and even retranslating words, because we often serve people who are secular and they don't even respond very well to words like faith and spirituality. And, uh, you know, what are you expecting after you die? So we have to retranslate it. And you wouldn't learn that in an MDiv program, not any MDiv program that I've ever seen or been to, maybe you could inform me if there is one that's much more uh, open to that and has even uh, worked on translating some of our jargon that we have to use as chaplains. So anyway, there are alternatives and we're struggling with it just like I hear a number of people on here struggling with it who say, I'm a nurse in a hospice. I don't want to go back and get an MDiv. There's got to be some other ways that we allow these very skillful people who now are moving to a spiritual, in quotes, area to work with their patients or their people in their residencies. So I well, think there is a lot of um, very specialized knowledge that goes now into chaplaincy studies. And I would invite you to uh, look at the book that Chaplaincy Innovation Lab put out with the Luce Foundation. Chaplaincy in the 21st century. Um, I have it and I've yes. read it. <laughs> right. And, you know, it, we need a research literate approach that draws upon the extensive research being done now on religious and spiritual struggles. Ken Pargaman and Julie Xline have compiled mm -hmm. the essentials of this research here that's going to understand Marty when they're inviting someone to into a spiritual care conversation a chaplain will use this research to listen for whether someone is having those struggles with the divine because they grew up experiencing religion being used in an abusive way I think one thing that the um, the master's degree in my school and also in Pam's school would provide would be a post-colonial approach to spiritual care that really understands the way Christianity has been aligned with colonialism uh, for centuries. Yes. And we're going to teach an interreligious respect for difference. We're also going to teach um, critical approaches to the study of one's religious history. At Isle, it happens to be Christian history a critical approach to sacred texts, like how you read um, the Hebrew Bible text, Christian text from that critical perspective that offers a multiplicity of interpretations that makes it relevant, relevant for today. So what you're getting in a master's degree is graduate studies in um, religious studies that's interfaith, interreligious, that is going to um, teach socially just spiritual care where religion is not used in abusive ways. And we're also gonna be teaching research literate spiritual care. That's what you're gonna get in a graduate degree. And I think the perspective you wanna watch for in an online program is, are you learning those critical traditions that help you critique, whether it's a Christian tradition, or a humanist tradition, uh, because spirituality can be used in naive ways that blurs boundaries between my story and another story. 
Um, or if it doesn't help people draw upon the unique ways that spiritual practices and meanings um, help people heal from trauma and moral injury. Um, so that's what you're going to get in a graduate program. And I think what Pam and I are trying to represent here are graduate programs that will teach you to think critically about your tradition, but in spiritually integrative ways. We're not deconstructing your faith tradition. We're giving you um, specialized knowledge and skills that will equip you to offer spiritual care to who, whoever you encounter. Thank you for that, Carrie. I also wanted to mention that for those who do have higher education already under their belt, we are now offering a certificate program in chaplaincy, and that's actually a lot less units. It's only 18 versus the a lot, which is the MDiv. So if you already have um, an upper upper degree education, you could come. In fact, Clarissa, that might be something that you and I could talk about. Um, because that would provide you with that basis, including the CPE and then that, and the option to work with an endorser or ordaining body. And that could then kind of push you in that direction without necessarily having to do the end of, but we would have to see what educational credits you already have. You know, sort of the, the subtext under all of this conversation is trying to strike a balance between necessary um, and uh, a necessary and deeply rooted spirituality and education that every chaplain has to have and accessibility because there are lots of reasons that people can't go through an MDiv. They don't have, you know, maybe this is their second or third career. They can't go back to a classroom full-time. Maybe it's too expensive. Maybe, you know, wherever they happen to be, wherever they want to go do this work, uh, you know, needs one unit of CPE, but they don't require an MDiv or whatever. There are lots of reasons that we're asking, what does the MDiv represent and what does it accomplish? And there are there other ways that we can get chaplains to that position without having to you know, sort of reify this one thing, this one way of doing it, which is with all of which is to say, there's nothing wrong with him divs. A lot of most of the programs are doing really good stuff, but we do have to think critically, is this the best path for everybody? And if there is another way into chaplaincy for folks that just can't do that, is there a way to think about that? There are no easy answers. Uh, we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, but we are trying to to think about that. Alan has a really good question. And I think we've circled around a little bit, but I want to say it explicitly. I'm enrolled in MDiv. I'm not part of the Baptist tradition of that particular seminary. Uh, would the certificate, something like Star King offers, be something to consider to eventually get certified? I have two units under my belt. So Alan's trying to figure out that in-between space for himself. Pam, you want to speak to that? Absolutely. Yes. In fact, that was why we created this certificate specifically was for people who may not have had that educational experience during their MDiv because a lot of MDivs are pretty much geared towards doing parish ministry or something like that. So for people who 
are have gotten an MDiv or in the process of getting an MDiv, they can do the certificate, which is only 18 units. If you've already done CPE, we count that as the CPE unit that you need to do. And then we do make inroads to help you find an ordaining or endorsing body that feels maybe not necessarily more authentic, but more inclusive so that you don't have to worry about like, I don't want to be in this box. So that might be a really good choice for you, Alan. And Alan, you might be this, I think you're the same person that asked, do hospital admins, for example, in healthcare, look down on endorsement from maybe a, a newer a newer body like uh, the Humanist Association or something like that? That's in general, they should not that that, you know, if they ask for endorsement, typically you provide endorsement and that's it. There's nothing to stop them from looking into that and saying, well, we're going to choose not to, you know, honor that. That's that's kind of the way things go. The if you want the sort of safest list of endorsers that are going to secure you for a job, look at the military, uh, the National National Council of ministry to the armed forces, I think maintains relationships with all the endorsers. And you can see if it's an endorser that the federal government accepts, then pretty much everyone's going to accept them. It's not everybody, but um, it's a, it's a little bit of a, you know, a fallback there. I think there still is a bias because chaplaincy has been so Christian centered. Um, <clears throat> so unfortunately I think that's part of our history. And uh, I teach a course called CPE Praxis that students do with me after they've done their CPE units, way to integrate what they're learning at ILIF with what they learn in CPE. And I still do see some evidence in some um, programs of uh, being more Christian-centered and not truly interreligious, unfortunately. And you'll then that will get carried over. Often those, it's often my impression that those chaplaincy departments get marginalized in a hospital. Um, <clears throat> and it's also very challenging for some of my students that work in areas of the country that are very dominated by a particular religious tradition. It's they'll often run into um, well, a lot of spiritual struggles that come up for patients they visit, especially if they don't fit in that dominant religious culture, but then a lot of challenges in practicing a true respect for the religious mystery and spiritual mystery of who others are that may not be shared across the CPE program. Yeah. We, it's, it's, it's not hard to find stories of chaplains from non-dominant traditions that will go through an educational program or a CPE program. And there's a real range where programs are either not welcoming or they they might, you know, sort of literally and technically welcome anyone, but then all the assumptions are one very clear tradition. And then others really work very hard to make sure that no matter what the lineage of the center or the school or whatever, they make they really work hard to make sure that everyone feels welcome and has a voice. So, you know, if, if anyone here is finding themselves in that position, I just always encourage everyone, uh, find your voice and speak up for yourself. It's, it's, it's not right that you have to sort of keep your head down and just get through with your tradition not being respected, whatever your tradition happens to be. Uh, you don't want to come out on the other end carrying that... Uh, 
that burden with you. May I ask a question? Uh, sure. I can't see anybody, but go ahead. Uh, yes, you can see me. There you are. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm originally from Brazil, so it may sound dumb, but if in, in order to make a living in America as a chaplain, what are the minimum requirements that they ask you for? And what is the easiest and fastest way to get those? You know, if in order to get paid. If know? I could answer that question, the lab would be set, you know, I would have a job forever. <laughs> if we could answer that question easiestly. Um, the answer is that it depends on where you want to work. That's that's really what the answer is. Because is it, the requirements are different. Is it possible to get a job without going through college? You're going to have a hard time doing that. <clears throat> I'm not saying it's impossible, but you're going to have a hard time doing that. Okay. And what is the, the, the easiest or fastest the, like online course that I could take? Mm. Mm. question i don't know it's definitely not one course um i so trying to help those who might not want to go through a three-year program we have the master of arts and social change that really focuses on helping people from a social justice perspective and that's a two-year program, and people in that program can also do the chaplaincy concentration. That's probably the fastest that I know of. And the caveat to that is the fact that if you were to seek out being a board-certified chaplain, which does typically help people get employed easier, or that's a hard word, <laughs> um, that with the amount of credits that our master's degree is, uh, it can only be an associate certified chaplain. So those are just things to consider. If, <sighs> were you a chaplain before? Are you just trying to figure out? No, okay. All right. Uh, Cause I was gonna say there might be some sort of like coming from one country to another, but if you weren't before, I don't know how to help other than that. Yeah, I love, we also offer a two-year degree, and it's a complicated process, but you can get academic credit for a whole added year of <clears throat> CPE residency. So you can do the two-year degree, and then do your, you've done your basic unit of CPE as part of that degree. Then you do a year of residency and you do get paid for that. It's a living wage. It's being a full-time chaplain. Then if you add a whole nother year of residency, that counts as academic credit. So what I say to people, and the two-year degree works really well for those who are not part of a religious tradition requiring an MDiv. So you're saving one whole year of tuition, but you're adding one year of residency, but you're getting paid for that. So it's, again, it's a complicated path, but it 
is possible to do that. And, and many of my students that do the two-year degree do manage to get fully board certified by following that path. Yeah. Interesting. What school is that, uh, Carrie? teach at Iliff School of Theology in Denver, and we do offer hybrid and uh, offer a lot of online spiritual care courses. Could you say that again or write it in the chat, please? Yes, I'll write it in the chat. It's, it's the school was founded by the Isla family, so it's the name of the school. <laughs> yes, we're in Denver. Angelita, I see your question in the chat uh, that you have an MDiv, no CPE yet, uh, but you're you're finding it hard to get into a program. Uh, if you're willing to share, and if not, that's okay. Uh, but if there is a particular barrier that you're running into with getting into a CPE program, we might be able to to say something about that. But without knowing a little bit more, I'm not sure. So I had to pull over in a parking lot. I just oh, left. The well, thank you for pulling over. <laughs> Let me I just say on camera, the lab does not encourage attending events while driving. No, 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 no. I just figured I wouldn't. It's so engaging that I had to find a parking lot in the mall. So, um, yes, I have been volunteering. So I volunteer at the Bori. I work as the, I, I serve as their chaplain once a month um, in a woman's center, um, you know, sharing with them. And I also provide pastoral care. I do that throughout my um my last years, uh, my internship with um, at at seminary, and um, I also am volunteering now at this hospital. But then I'm finding out that none of the work that I'm doing is going towards me getting board certification, which is what I want, yeah. because I would like to transition from my current job of 30 years. I would like to do full time chaplaincy, and so. Um, I've called hospitals and they're saying like, we don't do it anymore. Or we're not doing internships anymore. So I'm every time I'm calling somewhere, I'm in between the sign up. So one person said to me, um, I think it's Bellevue Hospital. She said, try online. Mm -hmm. And so I could get the CPE online and then do the application through, I think it's um, Association for Spiritual Pastoral, right. So then they're telling me to do that aspect. So I'm always like in the middle of something and I work full time. So it's hard to volunteer or, you know, do an internship full time, which is what most places are asking for. Yeah. Well, the online CPE is offered in different formats and a lot of our mm -hmm. students do it in the extended format, which okay. is stretched out over 20 weeks. Okay. So if you go to the directory and and click on online, it's a little hard to find that um, right. filter. But yes. once you find that filter, um, <clears throat> I always encourage people to contact the CP educator that's listed and just say you're really interested in an online unit. What when would you need to apply? So it's establish contact. Okay. Um, watch some of the lab. Uh, webinars on CPE, particularly if they give you suggestions on how to do that really extensive CPE application. Okay. They're really looking for whether you're engaged in a spiritually integrative process, how you reflect upon your life experience and your spiritual journey, whether you name areas of vulnerability that might come up in your uh -huh. chaplaincy experience. So do a really good job representing 
your call to chaplaincy in that CPE application. So you have the best bet for representing yourself. But okay. you can look for the extended units okay. that allow you to stretch out the CPE, usually for 20 weeks, sometimes longer. And I, I would recommend uh, as well, if you go to the lab's website, you can search for beginner's guide to CPE. Uh, our wonderful colleague, McCall Springer in New York authored it for us. And it really lays out kind of step-by-step, step, here's what the process looks like, here are your options, here is what it takes to sort of get into a CPE program and then what you can expect while you're there. Uh, we're very well aware that it's, it's, it's very complicated, it's very complex. There are lots of historical reasons for that. Some of them are good, some of them are not. But um, so we are trying. And as you know, when you're going through this process, you should always feel free to reach out to the lab, to ACPE, anybody. Um, yeah. Folks are always glad to answer questions because we know it's really complicated. And it's it's hard to get. Yeah. It's ironic that you mentioned Mikhail Springer because I reached out to her as well at um, your Presbyterian. But I'm like I said, I'm always in between their time to apply. So yeah. I, I am reaching out to individuals just that, as I stated. So now that I've graduated in May, I can commit now to this process. Great. So, Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. And this is a great platform. And come to the next session, Online CPE. It's in November. We're going to talk all about it. Yes, I look for that. Thanks again, everyone. Okay. Well, we're coming up on the end of the hour. So I think I want to go ahead and I'll split us out into breakout rooms. So that's, it's a very simple process. Uh, I will put Carrie in one, Pam in another, and then you can choose where you would like to go. Uh, and we, we turn the recording off. And so you can ask whatever questions you like. There's no, there's no record of that. And there are, we, I really stress, there are no dumb questions when it comes to this stuff, because we know it's so, um, it's very complicated, and uh, I've, I've been working with chaplains, alongside chaplains for years, and there's still a lot of things that totally mystify me, so um, it's a forum to do that. So let me stop the recording.